check, 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 check. Can you guys hear me in the back? Hello. Good morning. Okay. Well, let's begin. Will you bow your heads with me and let's ask the Lord to bless our time. Our Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day, for summoning us to come before you and to receive instruction, to commune with you, to worship, confess our sins. Uh, We thank you for this great privilege. We pray that you would bless our time, this meditation this morning on um, these important matters. Pray that you would uh, use these um, ideas and thoughts for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name, amen. Just by way of review... Um, I'm not going to go back over everything I was talking about before, but biblical meditation is one of the one of the things that is threatened by the rise of digital technology. It's my contention. Um, biblical meditation is something which we don't pay, I believe, enough attention to. Um, That doesn't mean it's something we don't do. I believe that Christian growth is not possible without some form of biblical meditation. But being aware of the Bible's teaching on biblical meditation and um, and doing whatever you can to promote it and strengthen it um, is certainly going to make us better Christians. And... Also, not being aware of the things that undermine and weaken biblical meditation can lead to uh, the weakening of our spiritual lives, our walk with God, and sin, and all sorts of problems. Um, And I believe that's something that has crept into the Western world, the Christian church in the Western world. Um, Unwittingly, we've handed over a lot of... um, Um, opportunity and strength that would have come through biblical meditation um, because we've become distracted with other things. But I want to talk about this third thing. We've talked about how digital media affects attention, uh, meditative arts, that's things that we place around us to remind us of truth. Attention, the, the research on what is happening to our attention is pretty, pretty damning of digital media. But this third one, meditative space. What is required in biblical meditation is space to ponder. And I use the um, metaphor of interstitial fluid, which is all of that fluid in between um, contained organs and vessels inside your body, and there is a lot of it. There is a lot of space in between all the stuff. There's a lot of fluid moving around in there that's not contained inside of, of a blood vessel or an organ. That in medicine is called interstitial uh, fluid, okay? And a while back, I read a very interesting little essay by um, a philosopher in England, not a Christian, But he did uh, just a short little essay on on digital media 
And in, he used, in part of his essay, he used a metaphor of interstitial time. And interstitial time, if you can take this metaphor, refers to all of those times in between spaces, in between activities uh, where you don't have a choice. You have to give attention to this because it's your workplace or um, you're, you know, you're, um, you're doing some, some activity that requires your attention, okay? Um, something that is drawing your attention. And there's a lot of interstitial time in the day. And um, one of the things that this philosopher was, was meditating on is where did it all go? He was a millennial, and he was just contemplating having watched throughout his lifetime the, the complete disappearance. At the beginning of his adulthood, people would sit on buses and still read newspapers and talk to each other or looked out the window. And now later in his adulthood, in the course of just a few years, that has completely disappeared. Go on a bus, sit on a subway, um, sit in a car, um, any of these in-between spaces, people have filled that up with, uh, with uh, digital technology because it's portable and it's endlessly entertaining. And so um, we wrongly believe that what we have done, okay, I don't know that anybody, maybe you haven't articulated this out loud, but what we often feel that we've done is we've redeemed that time. It was, just, it was just not being used. It was just sitting there. It reminds me of the, the man, the, the guitar player in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, who tells the story of how he sold his soul to the devil. You guys know that story? And um, one of the characters from the front seat, you sold your immortal soul to the devil? And what does he say? Well, I wasn't using it anyway. <laughs> I wasn't using it anyway. So... We do, it's something that we've handed over, this inter, interstitial time, okay? We've handed it over because we frankly didn't think we were using it very much. And many people probably weren't, okay? Um, here's an interstitial moment that's probably common to everybody in this room at some point or another, unless you've been very, very heavily regulated in terms of where your smartphone is allowed to go. Um, you wake up in the middle of the night, and you're tossing and turning, and your mind is full. And one way to just make that all kind of disappear is to grab your phone and just scroll on something for a while. Okay? Interstitial time, even, even at nighttime. Okay? It's, just, it's just swallowed up. This is one of the things that has led to digital usage just ballooning in a massive way. The amount of time, it goes way beyond that time that we used to carve out in the day for entertainment purposes, sitting in front of the TV. I did my homework in front of the TV. Didn't do a very good job in middle school and high school because of that. But we would, you know, we'd have these time periods when we carved out entertainment, but now that's bled out into um, car rides, all the in-between, sitting in a, waiting anywhere, waiting for class to start, Right? Places where our minds used to wander, okay? Now, I want you to consider, we read last week, Psalm 77, where the psalmist describes an experience on his bed where he's tossing and turning, and he says 
to the Lord, you kept my eyelids open. And he was troubled. And he was tossing and turning. And he was tossing and turning. And sleep fled from him. And he could not get to sleep. And how would that psalm have been written if it was 2023? It would have ended with, so I grabbed my phone and looked at Instagram for an hour and a half and kind of dozed off to sleep. But that's not. In that space, what he does is he meditates. And he's troubled. There's a reason he's awake. It's because his spirit is troubled. And so he doesn't use the phone, the digital technology, to numb himself away from that thing that is troubling him. He does the work of meditation. He's going he's to work through that problem by contemplating, in that case, the exodus and how the exodus applies to his current situation. Okay? But we've handed that time over. And what I believe we ought to do is truly redeem it by um, following the advice of Scripture and the advice of wiser people before us and turning our thoughts to important matters, to truth, to God, to the problems our day. Don't hide, don't hide behind your phone. Don't hide from your problems behind your phone, but seek to work them out. That's where true godliness and maturity comes from. Okay? So, we're going to have to accept boredom and quiet and stillness. Okay? Blaise Pascal, all the troubles of life, this was way way before smartphones, but even in their own day, and always, there's always been something that seeks to distract us from meditating and working through matters of truth. But he said, all of the troubles of life come upon us because we refuse to sit quietly for a while each day in our rooms, just being quiet, just thinking, meditating. A book that I would highly recommend all Christians read, um, there's a Puritan paperback version of it, is Spiritual Spiritual Mindedness by John Owen, in which he he goes, it's, it's very prophetic. I wish someone would update it even more and make special application to our very highly distracted day and age. But he talks about where does the mind go when it's free, when it's not compelled by other things, and it's just free to go, you will see much of what is, whether a person is truly spiritual or whether they are worldly, by where the mind, where the mind goes. And um, so it, I would commend that book to you. It's a Puritan paperback. You can get it for like 8 bucks, 10 bucks, probably more these days. It's like 15 bucks. But Thank you. So biblical meditation is complex. It involves art, okay, commended to us by Deuteronomy chapter 6. Write it on the, your door, write it on yourselves, okay. Make reminders, put it on the tassels of your clothing, reminders of God's word all around us. Definitely requires a certain amount of attention, attention span, and also an intensity of attention. But it also requires creating space in which meditation can take place, okay. And this is where it is, it's worth it. Psalm 1. He meditates on the law of God day and night. He is like a tree planted by rivers of living water that yields its fruit in its season. Fruitfulness comes from meditation. Fruitfulness comes from meditation. Okay? 
Britain's going to preach the word of God to your faces today. It's going to come and it's going to hit you. And you can be like the person in James that sits there and it hits them. And you can even say amen to it, which you should. I'm assuming he's going to do a good job and faithful. Okay, it's going to come and it's going to hit you and you're going to say, and, but that, that's, that is just, that is not the duty. The duty that is commended to you by scripture is to walk away and make use of it and to apply it to your life, to work it out. You have to take it with you. Okay? Meditation doesn't just happen in that room up there. That's where you get the food of meditation. At least in part. We were talking last week about literacy. I believe if you take reading out of this equation, even if we are entering into a period of time where reading becomes again the work of a specialized group of people, a scribe, and it's not because they don't, people don't have opportunity to learn to read. They are learning to read, but because they're becoming functionally illiterate. Okay? But that pastor, that duty of a pastor to read to the people, to, to exposit the scripture, to open up this book to people, if that disappears, if reading disappears, if careful exegesis of important texts disappear, everything else crumbles, including the fruit at the very end. It'll all crumble. It'll all crumble. Okay, so I just have some self-diagnosis questions. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I have another set of questions. Um, do you ponder Scripture throughout the day? Or do you have a kind of relationship to Scripture that's a check-the-box kind of a thing? Okay? What is your relationship to Scripture? Can you honestly say, I spend time contemplating truth daily, making time for it, filling up spaces, working through problems. I'm a thinker. I'm a Christian thinker. Okay? doesn't mean a Christian intellectual, but a Christian thinker. Christian fruit does not come from just being at church. Christian fruit comes from taking truth and thinking about it regularly and making application in your life. Has my, has my reading been in decline these last 10 years? Okay. Are we comparing ourselves with people around us who have abandoned reading? And I still read a couple books each year, but have I, given, have I also declined in reading? Okay. Be honest with yourself. And this is really important. Do I snuff out boredom? We now have the capacity to snuff out boredom by just reaching into our pockets. And it used to not be the case. I remember many, many times sitting by a payphone, calling my dad or my mom, collect maybe, trying to find a quarter somewhere, checking inside, and then realizing I have about 30 or 40 minutes to wait for a ride from high school or middle school or wherever. And that's going to mean some boredom. Okay? It's going to mean some boredom. It doesn't anymore. I can snuff that out. The level of distress in people of having to wait somewhere, just completely mitigated by digital technology. I'll sit right here and I'll just... And the time will just roll by. And... You don't have to spend any time thinking, pondering, being bored, 
boredom, boredom is going to be one of those things that we tell our grandchildren, <laughs> tell our grandchildren, we used to be bored. Okay? And it's not bad. This book is really, really good. It's not, she's not a Christian, but she looks at, it's got like 10 different pieces of research in here through 10 chapters on the science of boredom and what it does, how humans have dealt with boredom, the importance of being bored, and the, the pain of boredom. Boredom is very painful, and, um, and people will do almost anything to get rid of boredom, which is one of the reasons why digital technology is so addictive, is because boredom is so uncomfortable. But boredom produces, it's her thesis, produces brilliance. It's where people think. It's where people uh, process. There's another book. I don't have it here. How We Learn by Barbara Oakley. Excellent book. Barbara Oakley examines uh, one of the things that has gone wrong in our modern world education systems is we don't create space for processing. And um, there's two kinds of thinking. There's focused thinking, and then there's what's called diffused thinking. And um, this is something that psychologists have known about for a while, is um, that we, we will sit and focus on a problem, and we won't be able to solve it. And it troubles us, and we're playing around with the pieces, and we go, ah! And we walk away. We go for a walk. We don't think about it. At least we think we don't think about it. But another part of your brain is still processing those little bits. And when we come back, we find that we have more of a handle on it. Okay? That's not just magic mojo. That's your brain doing what your brain does very, very well. It keeps processing things. It keeps handling things. Okay? And that is a very, very important part of our thinking. But if you snuff that out by always keeping something in front of you to distract you, to keep your attention, okay, you lose the benefits of that. All right? So, moving on. Um, immediate fixes. Okay? <laughs> Silicon Valley will tell you we're aware of the problem. You know, they'll come before Congress... And Congress will be like, you're harming teenage girls. You're harming people. You're doing this. You're, you're exciting people to radicalism. And their answer is, of course, because it's a fundamental tenet of their religion, we will we'll solve it with technology. More technology will, will solve this. And that is perhaps true someday, that technology will resolve itself. I believe, I believe it will. But um, I'm not looking to these people to, to fix what's wrong right now. Okay, um, so I just have a couple of pieces of advice. You can find this in almost any book on um, technology and, and how to live a better life. Wisdom, Christian living in technology, and so forth. But um, one thing is try to get phones out of places where um, it's healthier to have space to be bored, to let your mind be creative and think to let conversations happen and things like that. Um, second thing is be more constructive with your consumption of media. And one metaphor that has been put forward for this is to think of media as something that you ought to curate 
rather than consume mindlessly. It's very easy to sit. YouTube algorithms will gladly just keep, keep feeding this guy, just keep feeding this guy, just keep scrolling it down. This guy just keeps eating while we're sending at him. Okay? That's consuming media. But curation is doing some hard research of like, you know, instead of just scrolling through Netflix, of like, what are, what are interesting movies that are out right now? What is the benefit of these things? And, and, uh, and so forth. You guys get the idea. Okay? Just flip the, flip the idea a little bit. Another is to embrace friction. Okay? Technologists, engineers, software engineers are continually trying to find ways to reduce any and all friction in your interactions with digital devices. Because friction is, uh, is not comfortable. We like everything to be perfectly smooth. And if you have an interest in not being attached to your digital devices 24-7, then what you ought to do is write friction into the system. Create friction, okay? So, for instance, Cal Newport, not a Christian, again, but uh, he's someone who's very concerned about this in terms of productivity. He wrote, writes a lot about work and thinking. And, um, and he says one of the ways that you can do this is by simply, if you get a digital device, designate it for one, one purpose. Have things designated for a single purpose. This is a computer on which I write sermons. I don't know if you guys can relate to that. This is a computer on which I do email. This is And just, just designate things and then... Get, put the software on to just lock everything else up. And, and listen, in a pinch, that's a hassle to undo because you've got to go in and like enter passwords and remove stuff and put this stuff back on. But that little bit of hassle might save your, your whole day in terms of productivity, right? So there, there's all different kinds of ways to introduce friction into the system so that your mind is freed up to use these things and better promote thinking. Here's an example of friction. Okay, um, I should have put Facebook over here, but um, Realm is self-contained. It's um, it's finite. It doesn't have an infinite scroll. The ex the user experience is a little clunkier, um, frankly, than than maybe Facebook. But there's not 10,000 options of getting distracted. And so for its purposes, it, it's actually better in terms of distraction. Um, it's healthier in that regard. But it definitely doesn't have all the features. It doesn't have all the features, right? So if you, th if you think in terms of that, like, do I really want this souped-up model you know, of, uh, of a piece of software that I want to be using, knowing that it, just because it's bigger and better doesn't necessarily mean it's best for me, all right? Anyway, and then, um, yeah, strengthen the meditative arts. This is something I love to tell um, young mothers, children. One of the richest times in our family's life was when we had small children. And, um, and what, because here's what, we've, here's what we started to do. We started to realize that we had a Deuteronomy 6 obligation to catechize these little guys, okay? So one of the ways we did that is we started playing Jamie Soul songs all over the place, in the car, and at home, and we would sing together, and um, we also started catechizing. You know who benefits from catechism more than anybody else? The parents who are catechizing. 
You, you learn so much. It keeps truth in front of you. So um, meditative arts, uh, all of those tools that we use um, that are a part of having small children, if you're, if you're honoring Deuteronomy 6, um, that's a beautiful season of life. It's a season of life. I know that young mothers, when they go up into the sanctuary, you know, there will be a period of time where they will not hear a whole sermon. I see a lot of nodding heads. It's absolutely true. Okay? There will be a long period of time where they will not hear a whole sermon. It doesn't mean it needs to be a uh, death valley of truth and meditation for you or like a, a lengthy period of, of, of truthlessness, meditationlessness. Okay? What you need to do is think through all of the different ways that you can add meditative art to your, to your life, and it can be very rich. I consider that one of the richest, richest times um, for us as a family. So I'm going to move on. Okay, and I'm done. Um, now, a number of people were asking some questions about AI, and I know a lot about AI. I don't. I don't at all. I, I'm like you. Uh, we're, we're all like, oh my word, what just happened? This thing is really interesting, ChatGPT or, or this piece of AI. And the, the truth is that AI has been around um, for quite a while, but what we've entered is, just recently, is a new age, okay? Um, we, are, we are at, uh, you know, kind of like peak social media. It's like, pe or, or what's the word I'm looking for? Social media is in decline. Um, social media is running its course. The negative effects of social media are being talked about by lots and lots of people in the media, in Congress, in churches, all over the place. Social media, the problems, and, and so forth. And frankly, people are learning, I think, people are learning how to kind of navigate social media. I don't, you know, I'm sure there's, there's still highly people that are highly addicted to Facebook and stuff, but, you know, Facebook's kind of lost its glimmer, <laughs> you know, its shine, um, and so forth. Um, I remind young ladies every chance I get that Instagram is destroying young ladies across this country, and so whatever your usage of it is, you should be well aware of what's happening to your peers all around you and thinking reasonably about why that is and what Instagram specifically, why it troubles and disturbs young ladies, what it does. Um, but a lot of people are becoming aware of that thanks to you know, various um, projects that have been done. But the age of AI is just beginning. And we have had AI, as you know, I'm sure, um, artificial intelligence in many, many devices and things. Much social media has a lot to do with interacting with AI. But um, this is what social media represents. This is a person interacting with a person, okay? And there might be all kinds of AIs that are intermediating that that we're not aware of. But um, the real harm of social media and what people have come to realize is that um, well, first of all, this is often artificial, this, this whole kind of setup, and, and you, can, you can get in these, these, you know, 
relationships where you're, you're projecting a, an image of yourself instead of rather you know, what you really are, um, which is a big problem in social media. But one thing that people are becoming increasingly aware of is the fact that there are other people involved in that relationship. There are people that are uh, curating your feed in, in all of the major social media um, um, apps. They are curating your feed. They are going through, um, not, not a human, but using algorithms, using robots. They're going through your feed and cutting out things and manipulating things and doing things to your feed um, with the sole purpose of, of what? Maintaining your attention. And what has been revealed is that uh, these, these companies, of course, have a left-wing bias, and so they're also curating it according to their worldview. This is something that has been revealed, and it's going to become increasingly revealed as the Twitter files moves to Congress. We now have a Republican House of Representatives. They're going to be bringing all this stuff, what was happening at Twitter, uh, how this conservative commentator was just quietly, the knob was just turned down on this guy so that he was not being amplified. Um, he had five million followers, but for some reason people weren't seeing him anymore. Um, but the people behind the scenes were manipulating dials and, and doing things um, without, without the people engaged in social media being any, even aware of it. Um, this is something that is especially pernicious when you consider, uh, so think of this, the, the day that Russia invaded Ukraine, um, TikTok is huge in Russia, and uh, almost immediately, there were certain keywords that were not available anywhere on TikTok in Russia. Um, war, war in Ukraine. You couldn't find, um, they limited, highly limited the international, um, any international. Why would TikTok do this? TikTok is a Chinese company. They did it because Russian government officials came to them and said, if we're going to run TikTok here, this is what you're going to do. And so TikTok effectively became a propaganda device of the Russian government, limiting what people see and, and, and controlling and, and promoting the Russian narrative in, in Russia. And TikTok was happy to go along with that because um, they're making money hand over foot. Okay, And so that's the type of thing. There's another interesting case in the latest French um, election where one politician um, on TikTok, some people were doing research. It's very difficult to do research on social media because they, they don't open up the box and show you what, what people are looking at. You don't know. So what they have to do is create thousands of accounts and run robots to run those accounts for months and months and months and then they analyze it. So, but because TikTok is not transparent, okay, um, you, you, you don't really know what people are seeing, okay, what, what, is, what has actually happened there. So, but in France, there was one politician who, for some reason, was being promoted way more than any of the others. And there was no mathematical reason to account for it. Um, it was simply someone was behind the scenes turning a dial is what the research that they came to. So this is something that research is slowly kind of gaining ground on. Of course, the people at TikTok, Facebook, um, and Snapchat, all these, these companies know very well what they're doing. 
Twitter. They, they know very well what they're doing. Um, they have interfaces in which they can manipulate and control the algorithms, uh, the results, but um, they're not transparent about it. It's, it. it's not in their financial interest to be at this point. So there's, that's the problem with that, but AI presents a, uh, a whole new set of issues in that um, when the rise of AI in terms of being someone with whom you are engaged, someone, notice what I, something with whom you are engaging directly rather than being an intermediary um, creates a whole new set of, of interesting problems. Um, and this becomes true especially in the case when people are not fully aware that they are engaging with an AI, okay? So Twitter, as, as you guys might know, was filled with millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of robots. And it was a way by which companies and individuals could manipulate uh, the appearance of things, could, um, there, was, there is a case, an interesting case, this happened on Facebook, might have happened on Twitter too, but where um, a Russian organization was, it was, it was Facebook ads, was, was using robots designed to create advertisements on Facebook that didn't belong to a real organization, but they were, they were conservative, and then they were also creating ads that were um, highly liberal, left-wing, progressive, and these these robots were creating these ads, and they actually resulted in a real-life um, standoff between people, I think, in Austin or Houston, where they showed up to a protest, and they, they got into it with each other. The whole thing was set up by robots. It wasn't a real thing. It was a controversy that was created by robots, but people got on board with it, got angry with each other, and showed up at this event that was fake, that was, it was being promoted by robots. It, it, it's, it's insane. They're being manipulated and fired up and radicalized and made angry by a piece of software, right? So, and they weren't aware of that, of course. But um, um, there are instances of people um, falling in love, being catfished by robots, um, and this is going to become increasingly easy to have happen as the AIs become increasingly powerful. So you think of all the tools that have been available to AIs before. Very simple, very simple chat level kind of interactions. But now, if you've spent any time on ChatGPT, you can see AIs can write long essays, have extended conversations with people and you would have no idea that you're, you're not talking to a real person, okay? There's technology that can mimic people's voices, that can create voices, that can read a person's life situation, their age, their background, and can create a voice and a persona, and now using deep fake technology, they can create video, they can create images. It's only a matter of time before the robots have the ability to custom design feeds, video experiences, visual experiences that are so persuasive that the person over here has no idea they're not talking and engaging with real people, real creators, real ideas. They're, they're interacting with robots. Okay. Now, 
the, the current thinking on this, the ethical thinking on this, is what ought to happen is that those people, there ought to be disclosure that, that whatever, whenever you're interacting with a robot, it should be made aware. But of course, that isn't, that isn't true now. There are all kinds of ways that robots have made their way into the system without um, even the, the platforms being aware of it. Um, there's a, a philosopher, his name is Stephen, uh, I don't remember, uh, I was listening to him, he's at UC Berkeley, his name is, no, Stephen Brand. That might not be right. He, but he identifies there's three, there are all kinds of things that people are putting forward as a problem with AI. AI has bias. Well, they're going to work up, they're going to work a lot of those bugs and things out. AI has this, AI has that, okay? He identifies three main things that could go wrong with AI in the next 50 years. One is, this is the end of the Matrix, if you've seen the Matrix 3. One is AI becomes a Skynet kind of a thing that that's becomes more powerful and smarter than the, the humans that created it. Um, and um, for our purposes, I'm just going to set that one aside. Okay. More pressing to our purposes is what happens when powerful AIs, so listen, some, some guy in Silicon Valley designs an AI that, like a chat GPT kind of a thing, and he's like, man, people are gonna, people are gonna love this thing. But what happens when that software gets used by someone that doesn't have your best interests in mind? Okay, so right now in America, people are developing all of this software that if Russia or China or just bad actors anywhere was able to um, weaponize and use against, you know, average citizens, it would be very, very powerful. So don't believe when people say, no, these are good people that are designing, that they might be, they might be genuinely benevolent people that are designing this. Most often they're they, they see this as a way, of course, to get very, very, very rich. Okay, so they, they don't necessarily have your best interests in mind. They're, they're getting very wealthy off of these things. But they're not communists. They're not totalitarians. They're not authoritarians. Okay, but then that technology, the technology that we, much of which we have developed here in the United States, is now being used in China to create a, a social capital system Facial recognition software, you're walking down the street, it, 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 um, it gives you a social rating and allows you access into different parts of society. This software is being used for very malicious purposes by totalitarians. Okay? So that's, that's a much, much bigger threat. Okay? Bad actors using these things for nefarious purposes is something that we as the Christian church ought to be well aware of, and, and always pointing to. It's, this guy, this, this, this guy that's sitting in Twitter headquarters or whatever like that, like, fine, okay, he's not a totalitarian or whatever, but where's that software going to end up? How's it going to be used? How's all those advances going to be used? And the way in which they're currently being used in authoritarian and totalitarian regimes is, is it's pure evil. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, part of that is the problem of imagination. Is that uh, now that's an interesting? I, th I think that's a uh, what is Minority Report? It comes from uh, who? Philip K. Dick. That's right. Um, and he had a he had a vision for a lot of things that that people didn't didn't see, couldn't see. But even in that, you're right. It's like what would happen if this technology was used by people with evil evil purposes? Um, so just just moving quickly though, there's a third major threat <laughs> of AI, which is when we use too much of it. Okay, and I think this is also among Christians. This is something we need to continually be aware of. Um, so um, I want to. So these two things. Um, this is Tristan Harris. He's the guy that made the social dilemma. He had a presentation that was a few years before that called "Humane: A New Agenda for Tech." It's still online. You can go find it. It's very, very interesting discussion. Um, one of his points is that um, so far, up to this point, social media tech companies have viewed humans um, along one-dimensional lines. A human is a person who consumes this type of media. And what he argues is that to have a more humane use of technology, we need to have a better anthropology. We need to have a better understanding of human beings. But here's the thing about Tristan Harris and the Center for Humane Technology. They're Pelagians. They're Pelagians, okay? And they're, they're secularists. They listen to, I would recommend listening to every podcast they've ever done. It's very, very informative, interesting stuff. But every now and then, you're just like, wow, how could you be so naive? They, they are because they're Pelagian. They don't believe that human beings are fallen. They talk a lot about unleashing human brilliance. We need technology to unleash human brilliance. And it's like, have you, have you read any history? Books? Have you read any history books? Have you, I mean, you know, do you, do you under, they, they talk a lot about reading the philosophers and, and what they mostly mean is the utilitarians and the, the secular philosophers. Um, but um, but what, we, what we really need is a Calvinistic vision of technology, which is that the reason, oop, 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 oop. These things are inevitable among a people that do not understand human history and do not understand human nature and human lust and depravity. And, um, and this is, in fact, exactly what we have seen. Go back to 2005, 2006, 2007. Look at Steve Jobs presenting the iPhone. Look at him presenting the iPhone. You know Steve Jobs was adamantly against pornography. I mean, like, he's like, I do not want this thing on, I do not want this garbage on my device. Well, guess what, Steve? Guess what? Your Pelagianism came back and bit you in the tail. Because that's what it was used for. Okay? Uh, these devices, the early Facebook, early, these, these people, they, they saw this as an avenue of making money but they didn't envision, Facebook never envisioned that they would be involved in genocide in third world countries. That they would be complicit in these matters. They never, they never envisioned these things being weaponized. That just buying of ads, manipulative ads, and, and flooding the market with ads, that dictators could influence, this is what has happened in um, um, Indonesia, 
not Indonesia. Um, Myanmar? Myanmar? Yeah, in Myanmar, I was thinking of the, who's the, uh, Philippines. In the Philippines, the uh, dictators have, have their hands all over social media and control, what is that guy's name? Um, the dictator over there. Anyway. It, but it's become a tool of propaganda in, in, in other countries, and that's not how it was presented. So I do need to finish here. I have all this, this stuff. We were going to talk about Hegel um, and uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, but we don't have time. So I'm just going to finish with this thought, this thought right here. This thought, come on. This thought right here. Okay, <laughs> Star Wars, fun, okay, had a vision of the future, it's actually the past, but the vision of the future, okay, this is the AI that's presented in Star Wars, and this is what I think we as Christians need to be aware of, AI, your friend, a helpful companion, someone to just follow along you, and, and uh, just make, you know, kind of, when, when you need a translation, six million languages, right? When you need a, this is, this is just a very, very helpful tool, right? Okay? But AI has the potential to be much more like this guy, which if you watch episode two and three, you will see that this is a worm tongue character who is seducing Anakin and, and is whispering and manipulating and is giving visions and is putting things in front of Anakin to lead him away from the light into the dark, okay? And so weaponized AI, AI that is nefarious, AI that does not have your best interests in mind is going to be very, very powerful. We kid ourselves if we only think of AI as just chat GPT. It's just a, it's just a fun tool, okay? AI is incredibly powerful, and um, what we are going to see, I think, in the next 10 or 20 years is a massive, massive amount of manipulation of masses. And you're not even going to be aware of the way in which your neighbors are all being manipulated because it's taking place at 2 in the morning with someone just staring at their phone in the privacy of their own home. And um, that's a big problem. It's something that I think the church needs to not get caught off guard in the same way that we were with social media, I believe. Okay. Sorry, I've kind of run, run out of time. Um, take two questions and then we have to we have to go two questions or thoughts or comments sir yes so there's I think it's called the life phone not the light phone that's a what's it called no 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 um, a smartphone there's I know a guy that has one, and um, I would imagine that all you need to do, it, it has good text, email, it's just, but it, it has like six apps, and that's it. But it, it, driving is another one. This, this dumb phone that I have, um, it's so hard to text on. I, uh, both, yeah. It's, it's, it's really, really hard to communicate with this thing. There's no reason why it needed to be like that. It's, it's bad design. Um, the advertisement showed, like, like an Apple commercial, showed these people very happy, very cool, 
using their phone. And what they don't show you is like, no, ah, sorry, I'm trying to, it, it's a pain. But there, there are companies now that are producing better smartphones. But yeah. Yes. Friction. Make it hard on yourself. Yeah, that's exactly right. Very good. Okay. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for um, giving us the victory over these things in Christ. And we don't know what's coming in the future, but we know that in Jesus, um, with our minds and our hearts stayed upon him, and in community with one another, and encouragement of the saints, Lord, we will overcome. And we pray that you would uh, guide us and lead us through these uh, uncertain times. Give us the wisdom that we need. Um, and I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.